Hello, everyone. This is episode 53 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volp, founder of the Volp Firm and Nimble This. With us is John Downey in the flesh. So John is CMTS technical expert, technical leader at Cisco Systems. Welcome, John. Good to have you back. Hey, it's great to be here on my fiber optic uh, uh, connection. Should yes. be a lot faster. Does my face and my lips match up now? Yeah, so it, John, it is awesome. The rumors are true. You finally have fiber. We have a beautiful connection. We get to see you clearly. We get to hear you clearly. And now we just want you to look up at the camera so we can see you. <laughs> see you looking back at us clearly. There you go. There's our camera. <laughs> so. They call me the Ron Burgundy of cable. <laughs> So awesome. This is fantastic. You know, we had a lot of people at Expo um, asking about, you know, like, John, where's the, when you're going to get high speed and stuff like that. And, and so it finally happened. And we're really excited about it. So I, th- I think uh, it, wasn't, be happy. it wasn't questions of when you're going to get it. It was more like, yeah, I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty much it. We got a, we got a lot of, a lot of uh, feedback saying, you know, fix John's connection, do something about it. And now it's done. So Happy to have that. So today we're going to talk about um, DAA, distributed access architecture, RFI, stuff like that, pros and cons. Um, but first, we have a question from one of our listeners. Uh, love the podcast, so thanks. Um, secondly, as we know, Doxis 1.1 introduced BPI Plus in 2001. And they're saying, well, the certificates to support that are only good for 20 years, uh, and then they expire. And then CMTSs will reject the device registration. So we're talking about the BPI Plus certificates and cable modems. They expire after 20 years, and we're hitting that threshold. And uh, so this person's saying, you know, many MSOs will have these legacy devices on their networks. Just thought it'd be good and interesting topic on what we're doing as an industry to, uh, to address that. Um, so, John, I, I don't know if you know what Cable Labs is doing, but I, I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were on this if uh you didn't even give me a prep on this question heck no that's what this show is about yeah i throw you balls and (laughs) curve balls and see how you respond yeah no kidding you know it's funny you bring it up because this came up about a month ago with uh mso here in the u.s and we decided on rcmts that we would have some type of global command to say allow it um because it is going to be an issue and it's being addressed so with that in mind, uh, it's not going to be a surprise. Uh, so people are addressing it. And I know in RCMTS, we're going to have some type of global command to allow maybe certain OUIs, maybe uh, an OUI, you know, original unique identifier uh, with maybe a subnet mask. Because they're sometimes not, you know, the first three bytes or six characters in the MAC address is the OUI. But sometimes it's the first eight characters will really indicate maybe an EMTA of a certain manufacturer. So uh, there might be a way for us to say, all right, these devices, uh, I know they're going to be exceeding their, their certification, their certificates. Uh, let's let the, allow them on because they've been working for the last 20 years. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not too worried about them. <laughs> um, the, the bad thing is what happens if they just quit working, right? You know, I almost reminds me back in the day when, we activated ATMA 
And we knew when we acted at ATMA, 1-0 modems would not register. And some people used that and exploited it to get rid of the 1-0 modems. Or even 1-1 so modems, Who's to right? say? Yeah, yeah, it was actually, yeah, to get rid of uh, 1-1 and 1-0 modems, yep. right? So who's to say that we don't use this to to get rid of older devices that yeah. should have been removed a long time ago? Like, you could use this to exploit um, your customers and say, oh, yeah, that, that modem, it became obsolete 10 years ago. Right. So please, you know, come on in. We'll ship you to a, a 3.0 modem. Please, you know, upgrade it, replace it, whatever. Yeah, because and maybe mean- it's our way. Yeah, the use case is you're you're running BPI in force, so you're you know forcing encryption. When that certificate expires, that modem's not gonna. It's basically not going to be able to run BPI anymore, BPI plus. So it's not going to be able to register. The customers going to see my modem won't be online. So from the operator's perspective, they're saying, yeah, you have to get a new modem, or you have to run a new modem for us, or you have to go buy a new modem. That is basically how it's going to go down. So it's really yeah. cool. I did not realize that you guys were actually doing something to to address this issue i know what cable labs is doing is they're um they're developing i I think it's a software type of application for cable operators so um they can use that to basically go through their inventory and see which devices have certificates that are coming up and expiring so they can get ahead of the game contact those subscribers and let them know hey your modem basically needs to be replaced uh, either through us, the cable operator, or through you know go buy a go buy a new modem and get that online if they're letting their subscribers do that. Yeah, so. yeah. The question that might come up is why do I need BPI plus? Right, you know, baseline privacy um, is critical for you know security of the modem. Uh, I know back in the one oh one one days, we had a lot of modems that were hacked. There was even a book out that talked about how to hack a cable modem. There was a a guy selling, I think, dongles that you could tie into the old Motorola Surfboard 1011 modem, and you could actually hack it or change the MAC address. And nowadays, we're worried more about cloning, where on the CMTS itself, it keeps track of the MAC addresses and the CPE and MAC address assignments. So you can't have the same MAC address on a CMTS, but what if you find a friend of yours that has a certain MAC address on a different CMTS. Well, CMTSs don't talk to each other. So you need something external to the CMTS, like your DHCP server that can keep track of a database uh, and a way for you to say, yeah, that that MAC address definitely is a clone of somebody else. You know, that that guy paid for bronze service and he picked up the MAC addresses from someone that paid for gold service. So now he's getting a better quality of service because he cloned the MAC address. So, I mean, there's that's uh, another thing that we try to keep track of is clone MAC addresses and clone modems. And if we just allow everybody to bypass BPI+, Plus, then that's going to cause even more problems with uh, theft of service. Right. Yeah, so definitely we, we encourage all operators to use BPI+, Plus and, uh, and there's even more security in Doxus 3.1, but for the purpose of really securing your network, making sure that you're, you're at, as to your point, you know, not stealing services and... And just adding that extra layer of security. So that's that's how we got into this whole BPI plus world. And BPI, for those who don't know, stands for Baseline Privacy Interface Specification. So there is a specification in Docsis. If you want to know more, go to Cable Labs and and just search uh, BPI or Baseline Privacy Interface Specification. And there's a lot of great reading material for you there. So um, in the news... um, 
there's uh, the latest issue of Broadband Library Magazine is out, and uh, I did an article in in that uh, for some interesting information I found. You know, I've been really kind of promoting, along with a lot of other people, low latency Doxis. My my attraction to low latency Doxis is I like to uh, I like to play uh, you know fast games online, so um, I like to have the latency down, so my gaming is uh, even better. That, but I'm not the only one. Uh, just recently, we had the eSports um, in Atlanta. It was this past weekend. Huge, huge turnout on it. Um, I actually forgot to look that up before the call to see how many people. Was, um, tens of thousands of people attended this in, in Atlanta from all, from all over the country. I think actually from all over the world, people came in. But the, I mean, the bottom line, this whole eSports thing is a uh, multi-billion dollar industry and and it's sports, so it's also I mean, what I where I actually see this going is a lot of the younger generation are tuning into electronic sports, gaming sports, rather than football and baseball and things like that. So this is a, a growing industry. The that, the thing is, it's it's really really important for our industry because uh, as th- what this is, what the topic of this article is is how telecom operators are leveraging 5G to attract gamers. So telecoms are seeing that they can get achieve low latency with 5G, and they're targeting subscribers who want that low latency and saying, you know, if you're near a 5G hub or, you know, a 5G access point, um, just drop your existing service, get on 5G, and your gaming experience will be fantastic. And, and that's, that's one of the things they're focusing on. Um, so please, you know, read my article in Broadband Library at broadbandlibrary.com, get more information on that, and that tails directly into some other articles I have here, where AT&T, their next 5G network, is going live in December, um, so they are kind of promoting that. Um, they're saying the initial experience won't be as fast as, as you know, what 5G can promote, like, you know, gigabit speeds, um, but it's still going to be a big jump over 4G. We take that over to Verizon. Verizon um, has an article on how they're they're starting to show what their coverage maps are going to be for 5G. Um, the coverage maps are sparse, and that's one of the things we know about 5G. They're, it doesn't cover as much as what 4G does, but um, that's that's also an opportunity for cable operators because we have cable everywhere. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting competition between uh, cable operators and telecom operators. Uh, we um, at uh, Cable Tech Expo, there was an interesting presentation that was given um, by uh, uh, one of the one of the major MSOs that um, we work with, where they they went out and kind of o- did an overlay of you know here's our cable plant in this city. Uh, if we put 5G cells up, what would our coverage be? And, and they were actually surprised with very very little changes to their plant. They could put 5G cells up all throughout a city and get relatively good coverage just because their coax cable runs all throughout the city. And, but and using the DOCSIS as a backhaul. Yeah, yeah. Using the cable as a DOCSIS is a backhaul, but one of the, the critical aspects is that, that is they have to use the LLX haul or the, the low latency X haul. Um, that, yeah. So, they, you know, there's two things here. We have low latency DOCSIS for kind of gaming or any applications like that, and then we have the low latency X haul which is required to get your latency down in order to support the low latency requirements that you need for 5G. So 5G is inherently low latency, which means you, you, you don't have that jitter, you don't have the latency. But in order to support 
that 5G backhaul, you need low latency X-Haul or low, that inherent low latency in DOTSs. Yeah. So the vendors are, all, you know, all you guys that are making CMTSs and, and, and uh, the, the network behind it um, seem to be on board with supporting that infrastructure. So I think we're really, really putting the cable industry in an, an awesome position to support 5G backhaul and also to support the, the gamers. And the big thing about the gamers is it's not, you know, that's kind of what my article covers. It's not a bunch of, you know, 11 and 12 year olds, the median gaming gamer in, and I have that in my article is mid thirties. And, uh, in Canada, it's even a little bit older. It's in the mid forties. So these are people that are making decisions about what service they're going to provide. And if, uh, you have a competitor so in their area that can offer a, a <laughs> they're so cold there. Everyone stays in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so those are, those are interesting. <laughs> they stay things. indoors more often. So they didn't play more games. Yep. <laughs> So, and then and just another article. So, I mean, we just keep seeing these articles coming out where, you know, AT&T, Verizon begin land, land grabbing for the flashy 5G partnerships. So, I, th- I think this is something we have to watch in the industry that we need to be competitive with the telecom operators and, and stay ahead of it all. So, we're not, we're not getting behind on the 5G game uh, because 5G could be, you know, we, we both have to have low latency. We have to, we have to as as an industry be providing 5g and and providing low latency because i think all these tying together we're going to see esports growing a lot that's going to be uh, just a new thing it's it's already a thing it's a billion you know, multi-billion dollar industry but we're going to see that continue to grow and i think the people who are want to use those you know want to game on our on our platforms are going to demand low latency if we can't provide it they'll go to someone else yeah, you you wonder it's like it's 5G could be considered competition or complementary. Yeah. It could be an extra service offering that I have. If an MSO is big enough, they might say, at what point do we get in to be a mobile provider as well and a one-stop shop to my consumer, right? For all content. That way they can keep their content on the go, do whatever they want. Uh, I have too many cord cutters, so they're cutting video, but I need to pick up another revenue source. So maybe mobile is the way to go. Yeah. At what point do we see the industry uh, gobbling each other up? Like, how do we know Verizon doesn't become part of Comcast or, or, or maybe, you know what I'm saying is like maybe Spectrum ends up buying Verizon or, or they come together as one, you know, I, I, you know, nothing is out of the realm. I think, I think the, uh, there used to be a really clear line between cable operators and telecom operators. And it, the line started to blur a little bit when, as, as, the, as the cable industry got into voice over IP. But now that the cable operators are becoming telecom operators, they're providing you know, telephone serv- wireless telephone service, and, and um, telecom operators are providing data service. And it's, it's just, and they're providing video yeah. service. The lines are so blurred, I, I wouldn't be surprised if what you're saying comes true, John, that yeah, at I some point, we so would have a merger. Yeah, so much video. So much video is becoming IP um, over the top. Uh, legacy video is kind of going away. And the younger generation, which is becoming cord cutters, they want to do everything over the top. They want to be able to just download and watch whatever they want to watch. You know, we always, we, we would always debate and argue about a la carte programming. And the cable operator is like, I can't do a la carte because... PBS, no one would pay for PBS. 
PBS might be bundled with all these other programs like ESPN and sports channels that you're paying for, and it kind of subsidizes all these other channels. So I'm able to give you 100 channels, even though you only watch 10, I can give you 100 channels for a certain price. And everyone's like, ah, but I only watch seven channels. I don't want to pay for seven. Well, that's actually coming to fruition now, isn't it? Yeah, no, with on now the go have, and over the top. And now we have Apple that has their own TV service. We have uh, Disney that came out. They had 11 million yep. users sign up within Hulu their first TV. two days. And then they, then they got hacked. Prime. And everyone, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's account got hacked after that. But I, I still think to your point, yeah, all these services, you know, originally the content providers did not want to break up and, and start, start divvying out their stuff. But now everyone is in a free for all. So I think, yeah. I think the a la carte days are upon us content is still king you know if someone puts out good programming customers want it you know and maybe they only want it for the three months that content is actually active yep you know it might be a series that happens to be on for three months and say okay i'll pay for three months and then <laughs> or, move you, on or to the next one or i think what's happening a lot is uh, a lot of you know like hbo will offer three months free and so what people do is they sign up for that three months free they watch they binge watch everything and 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 yeah. so things are changing yeah. But so that's in the news. Um, I think now let's uh, let's talk about DAA, distributed access architecture. So I, you know, I talked to a lot of operators and um, it's interesting because what what you read is, you know, DAA is taking off. Everyone's doing R5. But the, the reality is, you know, not so much. It's we haven't uh, things have not gone as quickly as what we had expected them to go with, you know, deploying R5, remote Fi. And, and things like that. And, and that's because there have been some challenges. Now, the alternative, the, you know, there also have been a lot of good things that come with, with uh, RFI, DAA deployments and stuff. And I'd I just like to, you know, get, get your opinion on, on what you're seeing from that standpoint. So, so, so first, you know, distributed access architecture means, and I simplify, I said, you're moving from an analog amplitude modulated fiber light to digital, pure digital ones and zeros um so that's you could just say analog fiber to digital fiber and that's daa that's also called sin the converged interconnect network so when someone says on oh, my sin they're really talking about digital fiber link uh transmit to receive let's look at why customers might not be able to go to a digital fiber if you go to digital fiber all your analog content has to go away mm-hmm so if you're still carrying a channel two analog, well, that has to go away. Uh, if you go all digital, meaning digital qualms, um, the R5 device or remote Mac5 device has to generate that RF signal. Uh, and it's going to be usually in a QAM type of format or OFDM, you know, DOCSIS 3.1. Now, every device out in the field, this customer premise equipment, that has to be able to receive it. So what happens when you have older TV sets, older set-top boxes? Um, <laughs> you know, what do I do with those? You know, do I trash them? Do I provide everybody with a digital to analog converter, a DAC? Um, so that becomes a, an issue. Uh, maybe it's an upsell positioning. Um, a lot of systems have gone that way already anyway. So getting rid of all the analog content is great and all, but then you have to look at what about test equipment, test signals, leakage, uh, CW carriers for balancing. Um, so the digital equipment has to be able to 
to create all that. The node has to be able to produce all those RF signals. You know, your leakage signals, your maybe a CW pilot tone, maybe an AGC pilot for an amplifier, you know, automatic gain control, um, maybe an out-of-band signal for a set-top box. Um, what else can you think of? All my qualms, my 3.1, my 2.0, my Doxis, all my MPEG-2 video qualms. Yep. Um, so I would say that, you know, the, the only there is an alternative solution to that that the operators offer, which is the, or I'm sorry, vendors offer, which is the, um, uh, it's not the, it, it's the remote fi shelf. So if you, if you do a remote fi shelf, you can still offer those analog solutions, but I don't think you get the same trade off of what you do when you go to a remote fi, um, node where you're, you're actually pushing all those digital signals out. So to, to your point, the, the initial trade-off you have when you go to remote fi is those analog signals that you that you want to be doing is going away. You also lose a lot of functionality, like your your legacy sweep systems you don't have anymore, your your your, your legacy test systems that um, you're yeah. you're typically using, maybe like a return That's path monitoring system and uh, forward path monitoring system. A lot of those systems are immediately obsolete, so you you know investments that you had become uh, become empty immediately. Yeah. yeah, the uh, the remote five shelf idea would be, what if I have a hub site out that's uh, 50 miles away? Instead of having duplicate equipment out in the hub site, I'm paying for HVAC, real estate, that building, security. You know, there's a lot of stuff you're paying for for a hub site that you might want to just remove it. You know, I might be able to do uh, a shelf and get rid of all that extra equipment in there and just run a digital fiber to a shelf. And that feeds my existing um, analog fiber nodes out in the field. So I can extend, maybe uh, get rid of uh, uh, redundancy of equipment and move everything to a central location where I have my CMTS core. I have all my video content on my satellite dishes. And then I run digital fiber 50 miles away, 100 miles away, 1,000 miles away. There's no reason why I can't do that with digital fiber. That's one of the powers of digital fiber, right? Distance, um, uh, cost of the the, the, the uh, SFPs, the shared uh, form factor pluggable. Is that right? SFP. SFP. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, it's cheaper than analog uh, receiver and transmitter. Yeah. So we, we have a couple comments um, from the from the live chat. Uh, first of all, uh, we got a greetings from Zimbabwe from uh, Tapa Walkaway. I, I probably messed up your name. Apologize for that. And uh, uh, to do's is a uh, fr- friend of the podcast. We know well um, is saying, uh, John, no issue on he's suggesting the RF overlay for o, um, o, out of band OOB over NDF, yeah. NDR, and FFT. So that he, he's suggesting that we could handle that. Although I'm, I'm not sure we could handle all the analog video on, on the out-of-band. Yeah, I, I don't like the idea of an, of an analog overlay. Uh, now you have to run two different wavelengths of light or two different fibers. The beauty of digital fiber is you're moving the, say, the, the, the chipset, the, the Broadcom or Intel chipset, to the node itself. So in essence, you're moving the head end further out closer to the customer. So your MERs are really great because it's digital fiber. When you run an analog link, the link loss and the link budget dictates your MER. So the longer the fiber link on an analog link, the worse the MER will get. So what happens if you take 
a analog link and combine it with a digital link, you're only as good as the worst link. So unless you can filter out the noise being generated on the analog link, you don't want to combine two links together. Mm-hmm. So doing a digital fiber coming out with RF from the digital chipset and then combining that with the output from the analog link, you just created all that noise from the analog link unless you can figure out how to fill. And, and you can, you can filter it out. But I mean, to me, getting rid of the analog is the way to go. I mean, it's, you're just, yeah, I think the, it's like the not ripping off the Band-Aid fast enough. <laughs> you're slowly ripping off the Band-Aid. I'd rather just rip it off and go. No, I, I, and I think that's the objective of operators is go to an all, all digital, all IP system when they're going with remote fi. I think that's the end goal. And there are solutions um, uh, that uh, test equipment vendors have to do things like sweep and ingress and, and uh, even like what, what we do with return pass spectrum analogs with um, RPDs that you know, bake it an all digital solution. Um, there's even stuff um, like uh, Bo Cronbach with his uh, uh, Cronbach tracers that he offers for uh, European operators that must carry FM radio that allows them to yep. directly send that over. He also has some cool test equipment solutions and stuff. So he offers cool things as well that that, that all occurs so he's, over he's the He's basically NDF. taking like the 88, 88 to 108 megahertz uh, FM radio yep. and then digitizing it. And he right? sends that and over then, the out of band, the yeah. NDR, NDF and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So he's doing a lot yeah. in that space as well. So I, you know, I think there are solutions for that, but it is, it is something that you still have to buy. Um, it's additional hardware that you're buying and putting your head end, uh, or additional software that you're buying and putting in your head end. Because again, to your point, the legacy analog hardware that you had, for doing things like sweep and 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 uh, ingress detection and egress detection, uh, will just not no longer work with a, a digital you know going over the CIN. So yeah. I, I think that's the, one of the challenges. The, the other, the other thing is, yeah, people ask about DOCSIS three one. Is it required to do remote fi? And I'm like, no, it's actually just complementary. If I can do a remote fi do a digital fiber, I get better MER, which can help promote higher modulation schemes with DOCSIS three one. Yeah. Uh, if I do, if I do digital fiber, there's many cases I could do 4K qualm on the downstream, and it works perfectly fine. If I'm doing Node plus three amplifiers, then maybe the third amplifier, modems after the third amplifier, have a lower MER. So yeah, maybe they drop down to 1K qualm. But I have profile management that can dictate which modems are doing which modulation based on the MER readings that are reported back to the CMTS. So I mean, yes, they are definitely, definitely complementary the remote fi daa with say uh docs 3.1 yeah so i think i think that's what it comes down to and, and what i've had operators ask me is what's the what is the big benefit of going to remote fi so you know they understand what some of the challenges that are going to have they're you know they have to get rid of analog they have to maybe invest in some new equipment and stuff like that but what's the big bang for the buck that they're going to get once they get that rfi that that daa based rfi node deployed in the field and is it is it just oh, it, improved, yeah. um, you know, upstream MER and downstream MER um, signal quality? Is, is that the only thing that they get? No, I mean, like we mentioned, distance. You can go much farther distance. Mm-hmm. Um, the SFPs that I've seen on the market are the highest, the, the longest one is 80 kilometers. But normally in a digital realm, you're going to go to a switch, a router, maybe to another switch and a router, you have multiple hops. So an 80 kilometer SFP 
and, and this is interesting because I talked to one of our optics guys and I said, does an 80 kilometer SFP have a higher output power than a 20 kilometer SFP? He's like, no, ironically enough, they're all putting out like three dBm, two milliwatts, somewhere in that range. But the receiver is more sensitive. Yes. <laughs> so you're paying more money for a higher rated SFP because the receiver is more sensitive, not because the transmitter is putting out higher power. So that's yeah, good to know. So the 80 kilometer might end up going, say, 50 kilometers, but then you have loss because of all the hops in between. Uh, you have delay in between. You have splits. Um, but then you might be going, say, 10 hops, 80 kilometers. So you could be going 10 hops, 50 kilometers a piece. That's 500 kilometers. Or maybe you just, uh, you're doing some type of EDFA, the RBM dope fiber amplifiers, where you're actually going 200 kilometers with one point-to-point link. Um, so, I mean, distance is a big one. I can go a lot farther distance. By going further distance and having pure digital lineup, I might be able to remove hub sites. I'm like taking my entire content from a head end and moving it to a smaller area. So I just eliminate maybe an entire hub site. Um, I have better performance, better MER. It's not just downstream, it's upstream. I like that. Yeah, idea. but what about bandwidth? Upstream because MER. you know, I, I look at bandwidth and if you have analog lasers, you're you're probably gonna be pretty limited in bandwidth and return on how 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 high you can go. Let's say, you know, maybe eighty-five megahertz with an analog laser, but maybe you want to go to 200 megahertz because that's your long-term plan when... Yeah, you're you, not going to do it with analog. You're not going to do it eight, 200 megahertz with an analog no, laser. No. no, no. Even 85 megahertz, you know, we're always talking about laser clipping and stuff like that. With yep. a digital laser, you don't have laser clipping. Analog laser, you have laser clipping, whether it's from RF signal or from noise, which is like an RF signal, <laughs> you know, any type of noise. Uh, <laughs> so if I do a digital laser, then I don't have to worry about that. I might have to worry about an A to D type of uh, or a D to A or A to D type of uh, overdrive, uh, compression. But it's the laser I'm worried about. And an analog laser, we have BDR and EDR. So baseband digital reverse and extended digital reverse, enhanced digital reverse. That's good for 85 megahertz upstream. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen any type of digital-esque uh, laser for 204. Yeah, I've heard of one customer that told me they were going to try to do 204 upstream because it is part of DOCSIS 3.1 spec, and then we're going to try to do it on an analog laser. I'm like, ooh, good luck. Yeah, uh, I, think, I, I think it's just going to be way more sensitive in an analog laser. So when, you know, from my perspective, when you start investing in RFI, you're really starting to invest in your future. As far as, you know, you, you know that you're going to have the capacity to go to 200 megahertz or maybe 600 megahertz when we start looking at an extended spectrum. An extended spectrum says that, you know, maybe we go to 1.2 gig, 1.8 gig even at some point. And so when you start having that and you start thinking, you know, at some point we're going to have a lot of different things going on where we start to have a more symmetrical network. In that symmetrical network, we have, you know, a much, much different perspective of what end users are going to be as far as streaming data in the upstream, receiving data in the downstream. And, and in order to achieve that, at, you know, say five years in the future from now, that's going to require a radically different network than we have today. We talk about getting rid of diplex filters or having a fixed diplex filter at the 600 megahertz band. Um, so, you know, we have a 600 megahertz return, a 600 megahertz forward, maybe even a broader forward than that. And, and that, that I think is yeah. where R5 really becomes something that you want to have in, in your network. 
And that's, that's also, the type of planning that you would look at. Also, RFI is the first step to evolve the network into cloud. Vir virtualization. So once everything, all the RF is removed from your CMTS, the CMTS doesn't have to be a CMTS anymore. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's all optical outputs. So I could have a data farm running uh, what looks like iOS, and it could be cloud native. So I could have a centrally located bunker running servers and running this iOS, feeding optical switches and routers out to all my RF locations. Those are my remote five, remote Mac five devices across the country. So in theory, I could have a bunker in Salt Lake City, <laughs> in the salt in the salt mines, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> with Ancestry.com <laughs> or whoever is out there, yeah. Twenty Three and Me or whatever those places are, and then I could have a fortified location with backup generators um, and, and redundancy, and I just have fiber optic redundant fiber optic paths going out to my locations that are doing the RF. You know, there's. There's no reason why I couldn't do that distance. Now, if I'm worried about latency and delay, yeah, I could put uh, the scheduling and what we call flexible Mac architecture, FMA, and remote MacFi or distributed CMTS or some type of solution or mixed solution to get that delay and latency down a lot lower. Yeah, so... so and by the way, yeah. No, no I, I, think, I think your DAA now takes us to really the next... The next level of where the industry is going is with virtualization, and yeah. and I mean, the ability to put your CMTS in a server, whether it's to your point in a bunker or in in the AW in the AWS cloud or just pretty much anywhere you want to put that CMTS, reduces reduces the 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 basically the requirements that you have in current head ends today or hub sites from cooling powering the uh you know if a if a hurricane comes in and takes it out or an earthquake quake takes it out um you know the that survivability um is is so much improved when when you're able to put that data center somewhere where you have backups you have multi tenancies so you know that data center is replicated that cmts is basically replicated it's an complete completely different environment and because we're we're moving to a, a really data centric world where people depend on that data so much more than they did before virtualization makes incredible sense and daa yeah. makes that possible we we couldn't we can't do that today with analog links and, and once you have this network and this spider web network laid out, you could look at capacity planning totally different as well. You could look at a, uh, a RF uh, remote by node and say, oh, this is really highly congested. Let's use the resources combined with another RFI node that's underutilized. So we can reassess and reallocate resources on a node by node basis. And just by spinning up another server that happens to have more resources. And uh, it, it's almost like we can share better the, the resources. Whereas when you have a hard CMTS and another hard CMTS, it's not like you can say, let's just move a fiber node from one CMTS to the other fiber node or to those CMTS. Yeah, you can do it with RF guys, you know, move a coax over, but you know, it's a lot more planning that comes into play there. Whereas when you're in a digital realm and virtual and cloud, you could do that with some keystrokes. You could do that automated. You could automate something that just look at capacity and have certain thresholds and say, hey, when I hit 75% threshold this time of day, 
let's move it over to a cluster that's uh, less utilized. Yeah. So, and that gets into orchestration. So today the orchestration of adding capacity to a CMTS is calling your vendor and saying, I, I need a new blade or I need a new CMTS and submitting yeah. work order or purchase orders and waiting for the equipment to come in. And I mean, it can be a, a week or multi-week or month, multi-month process. Yeah. Orchestration in a virtualized environment, to your point, can be setting up a rule to say when you hit 80%, 80% adding, adding that additional capacity in a virtualized environment, which could take a matter of minutes or even less. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, oh, yeah. I think as we start to understand that as an industry, it, it just, it, to me, it's incredibly exciting because, you know, I, I see that cap- capability and it's, it's just awesome. So I've, I've been really it's, it's, it's that, and, and that whole idea makes some people squeamish or, you know, our whole cable industry is kind of age. I say aging out. You go to the, all these conferences, <laughs> we're all getting really older, but there's no new blood coming in. Yeah. <laughs> the new blood is in the cloud, Kubernetes, understanding web, um, digital side of it. But, you know, with that, in the same breath, I see us looking at extended spectrum out to 1.8 gigahertz. I'm like, Ooh, RF is sexy again. Yeah. You know, I need to be able to look at RF and understand, you know, when I go to 1.8 gigahertz in the downstream, by the way, is to open up the upstream. You know, we're not just open up the downstream for just downstream. We don't really need more downstream. But if I need to open up the upstream, it eats into my downstream. So I have to open up the downstream to 1.8 gigahertz. If I do that, I have to have uh, maybe some RF expertise and testing and test equipment and uh, it starts getting sexy again. I need Ron Hranick to be out there to uh, evaluate all, all my cable plants and make sure 1.8 gigahertz is going to work. But can, all the taps, everything. Will you be able to get Ron Hranick to say it's sexy again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bring, he's bringing sexy back. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> with that, with, with that said. With that said. <laughs> I think um, I think we covered uh, a lot of what I wanted to cover. Any anything else? I mean, we talked about some of the downsides, which you know I think they're all addressable. The upsides um, the upsides are are less tangible because you're really preparing for your future of of where you're going, and and I think that's the big thing. I the the immediate gain you get with with DAA or our remote fi, uh, you know, we've seen on slides. We've talked about that in past episodes. Yes, you get a Immediate improvement on MER for the cable modems or SNR. SNR is MER. We always talk about that yeah. for both the downstream and the upstream. Um, but and and that's good. Any RF guy is going to like that. Um, yeah. However, I think the big the big bang for your buck because you don't want to spend all that money just just to say, oh, I'm getting better MER and R and stuff like that. But I think the big bang for your buck is what we're talking about. It's the long term. It's it's being able to do virtualization, orchestration, and and uh, and reduce head end costs and even eliminate hub sites like, like what you're saying. Um, can you think of anything else that we're, we're, we're we haven't covered? Well, we mentioned you know no laser clipping. And that is a concern, right? Um, even on the downstream, when customers started adding more RF channels, Doxus 3.1 to their existing lineup in the head end, uh, they may not have uh, taken into account RF loading into the laser itself. So every once in a while, you can get downstream laser clipping and not even realize it. It could have been when emergency alert system EAS kicks in and all your, your – uh, 
your signals line up, your sync pulses line up, and now you get laser clipping during an EAS uh, scenario. You don't have that with the digital fiber, so you don't have laser clipping because you're not doing analog or amplitude modulated light. I used to call it intensity modulated light, right? Because you're changing the intensity of the light even though you can't see it. Right. You know, it's an invisible wavelength to your eye, 1310 or 1550 or any wavelength around there. Yeah, well, if you hold the fiber um, up to your eye, uh, <laughs> after a while you won't be able to see anything. <laughs> it, it'll come out the other eye. Yeah. <laughs> it just loops around. It's a refractive and reflective uh, nature. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I mean, I think in that regard, you don't have the laser clipping, which is great. Uh, you're, you're loading digital fiber. You can take, and I say this all the time, you can take 10, 10 gigabit per second fiber links, combine it into one 100 gigabit link. So we can combine digital fiber in the time domain. Just go to a faster link. You can't do that with RF. Mm -hmm. You can't take an RF cable, combine it with an RF cable, and then come out with clean signal. Then we it's just three dB more each power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could do that. <laughs> if it all adds in phase, as long as the two two lengths are exactly the same, they'll add in phase. Yeah. <laughs> if not, they add out of phase, and then you get zero. <laughs> but some people will think you can do that. Combine two R if you can give them three dB more power. They don't understand that there's phase cancellation yeah. and stuff there. So, so I had a customer do that uh, when they had downstream RF levels to the house were bad, and a tap had an empty port. They would <laughs> so they cut it two ports <laughs> and combine, combine them, them together. It does not work that said, way. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and, and ironically enough, as long as the two cables off the port were exact same length. To the splitter uses a combiner. But you have to have a perfect theory, splitter too. The, the splitter has yes, to be a phase yes. match splitter. And, and what happened was they would gain some signal in the downstream, but when the upstream split <laughs> and then combined back in the tap, a mess. you couldn't guarantee they wouldn't be out of phase. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a real mess. It was like, yeah, you don't do that. If it hurts when you do that, don't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> So, so I was thinking, you know, another advantage of the digital fiber, we said distance, uh, we're not going to get laser clipping. I had a customer come to me and say, well, what type of MER would you expect if you do a remote FI? I said, well, technically you're putting the, the Broadcom or TI Intel chipset at the, at the node itself. And I would expect like a 50 dB MER downstream and a 40 dB MER upstream, mm -hmm. which is awesome. But once you go through the amplification of the node itself, and and the noise figures and everything added back in you know downstream you might be seeing mid 40s upstream upstream still pretty close to like upper 38s 39s uh when we look at doxis 3.1 being 60 be more robust than say doxis 3.0 in the breakpoints i i could run 1k qualm in the upstream 4k qualm in the downstream in a lot of situations so i mean performance is definitely there um I'm trying to think any of advantage besides being a stepping stone to you know cloud yeah. and virtual, right? Yeah, I, I think I think those are it. I, I mean, that's we're we're investing in the future. With yeah, it. it's it's an investment in the future of where we're going. So yeah, and, and then then we then we start looking. You mentioned upstream, uh, two hundred four upstream. I like the idea of two hundred four upstream because there's CPE that I can buy today. There's DOCSIS three-wheel modems I could buy today that can support 204. Yep. You know, if I say, oh, let's do 396 on the upstream, I'm like, well, what good is that if I don't have the cable modem? I can support it. <laughs> I don't have any devices, yeah. All right. Well, John, I think we've covered this topic pretty well. So yeah. we'll wrap this up. 
John, thanks for your time today. This was a good episode. Our next episode is uh, episode 54 in December. We're halfway to 100 already. More than halfway. So we, you know, we do our best every show to try to bring good technical content to our audience. Uh, if you like this and you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button and hit that bell so you get notifications when we broadcast. And if you're listening to us on the air, you know, just subscribe for your on your favorite podcaster. Um, John, have a good Thanksgiving. And everyone Me else, too. if you're in the U.S., you know, celebrating Thanksgiving, have a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy your turkey. Thank you so much. We'll be here next month. Take care, all. Bye-bye. All right. See you.